What is your life built on? Who is it built on? Is it built on you? DIY, do it yourself. Or is it built on God? DOG, depending on God. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Question for you this morning. What are you building your life on this Christmas season? What's that thing that you're banking on when nothing else pans out? That thing that you're counting on to carry the day. The better question, perhaps, is who are you building your life on? Because really, there are only two choices when you're looking for an ultimate foundation on which to stake your life. These two alternatives, these two choices are all over the Bible. This morning we're going to look at the Old Testament first in Psalm chapter 33, and then we're going to look at Luke 2 to flesh out this basic question of what's your foundation in life? What are you counting on? Who are you depending on? Who are you going to place your trust in during this Christmas season or, or really any season of life? Psalm 33, verses 16 through 20. It's on page 870 in your pew Bible. And as you turn there, I really just want to do two things this morning. First, I want to talk to you about these two choices, these two alternatives. And second, I want to invite you to choose the foundation you're going to build your one and only life on. That's where we're going this morning. Pray with me as we go to Scripture. Lord Jesus, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would guide us in all truth. We confess and affirm that thy word is truth. And we pray that as we read that the very words of Scripture that point to the living word, Jesus, the word made flesh, would take its root in our heart and we would know the love and grace found in him. This we ask in his name. Amen. Psalm 33, verses 16 through 20. Listen to God's word. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in the famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. 
May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 33 is that you can build your life on one of two foundations. You can trust in yourself or you can trust in God. Choice one, to build your life on you, yourself, is here. This is where you choose to trust in your own self-sufficiency. I will count on my own gifts, my strengths, my intelligence, my ability to solve problems, my ability to figure things out. I will save myself by my own works, my achievements, my career, my money, maybe even my good deeds, maybe even by my religion. I'm a king. I'm a warrior with war horses, and that's how I will get through life, build my life, and do life. This approach to life, one of your choices, has an acronym with three letters. Perhaps you know it. D-I-Y. What does D-I-Y stand for? We're remodeling a home, about finished, and I wish I was more of a DIYer. But yes, it's do it yourself. And when our kids were a little younger during the season of Christmas, I used to hate seeing DIY on packages. Or even worse, easy assembly, here I... And, and to add insult to injury, have you noticed they now start adding time to how long it should take? Assemble in 10 minutes, not me. I'd be cussing in 10 minutes with the DIY. And one particular Christmas, we got our child a particular complex toy. I think it was a nuclear reactor, a small nuclear, something like that. Real complex, slot A didn't fit in the slot B. And, and after hours and hours of frustration, about two o'clock in the morning, I finally said to my wife, hey, you need any help with that? Um, <laughs> um, some of you got that. You've had your coffee. Very good. You see, it, it's a funny thing that we Typically, we usually don't try to DIY it when something complex like our car breaks down and they're all now computers and you have to take them to the mechanic or our HVAC malfunctions. We typically don't get up in the crawl space and try to figure out what's going on. And yet, with our own lives, with our eternal destiny at stake, we often DIY it. Scripture writers knew this, this I can build my own life on me philosophy. Salvation by works is what it's sometimes called. It, that, that this produces pride on the one hand, and yet it's very fragile on the other. 
See if you can identify with the, the word picture that Job's friend in Job 20 says. He says, though the pride of the godless person reaches to the heavens and his head touches the clouds, he will perish forever like his own dung. That is in the Bible. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? Surely he will have no respite from his cravings. He cannot save himself by his treasure. Really? Money can't save us. This trust in your own strategy, a while back in one of their sketches on Saturday Night Live, was made famous, famous if you could finish the sentence. It was called Daily Affirmations by Stuart Smalley. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people what? Like me. Some of you sinners who watch Saturday Night Live just found yourself out, all right? <laughs> yes, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. I can make this thing work by myself. We idolize self-sufficiency, depending on ourselves to make things happen, a sense of importance, an inflated sense of ourselves. We do that in culture, as Americans, and, and maybe, maybe even especially so as a church culture here at First Pres. It's a good place, downtown, maybe make some connections. We idolize self-sufficiency. A Gallup poll asked high school seniors, are you an important person? In 1950, 12% of high school seniors says yes, said yes, I'm an important person. In 2008, 80% of high school seniors said I'm a very important person. The United States ranks 25th in the world in math. Yet, when asked, are you really good at math? The United States ranks number one at thinking that they are really good at math. Time Magazine asked, are you one of the nation's 1% top earners? 20% of Americans thought they were at the top 1% of earners in the country. Maybe that's that math thing we got going on. <laughs> but we had this sense of self-importance, confidence that we can do it. If it is to be, it's up to me. We live in an achievement culture. Get your kids in the right schools, the magnet schools, the private schools to position themselves. Make sure they're on the best sports teams, CESA, Legion Ball that goes all weekend halfway across the country. Make sure their college application is just so. Start SAT prep at age six all to put them in a position to succeed. Now, I'm not saying that wanting to do your best is bad. I'm not saying that God doesn't use our gifts in the marketplace to serve the world. I'm not, I'm not saying that. 
That's good to do all that we do for the glory of God. That's Presbyterian thinking that Brian talked about. But what I am saying is when we base our lives on those things, we've got a problem. As adults, maybe we strive after degrees and awards and climbing ladders and establishing networks in order to answer some basic human questions. Who am I? Do I matter? Does my life count? For some of us who may have retired... Our sense of identity has therefore been stripped away because our job was who we were and we were so wrapped up in that. For some of us who have sent kids off to college, maybe have empty nests, maybe our sense of purpose has been lost because when little Susie walked off to the dorm room, so did our purpose in life, raising children. Again, that's not bad, that's good. But when it becomes that which you base your life on, it's not so good. It all fosters this sense of do-it-yourself resume salvation. But really, all this striving, all this achieving, this working, this DIY philosophy... It really doesn't last, does it? And you've lived life long enough to know that, man, when you're getting along, we chase soap bubbles in culture. And they look so attractive and they look so shiny and they glisten. And we run after them. And we chase them But we know that Scripture says, like in Ecclesiastes, chasing after them is meaningless. It's vanity because life happens. And James says, what is your life? It's a a mist, a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow. And we know as we chase these bubbles that they don't last that there's depression, that there's disease, that there's dementia, that there's divorce and dysfunction and moral failure and financial loss. And, and when those bubbles burst, the bigger they are, the bigger mess they make. And, and that's the end of a DIY approach to life. That's where it ends. Aging will come and death will come and judgment will come and you and I will stand before God one day and he won't be impressed by our resume. He won't be impressed by the boards we sat on or by our credentials. Kings and warriors, the wealthy, you and I, discover that our armies, our strength, our horses, our toys, our 401ks, our investments, our titles, our education won't save us. Vain hope for deliverance, says the psalmist. 
Here's a second way. Another choice, another alternative. Another way to build your life on, and it also has three letters. D-O-G, dog, depend on God. Look at Psalm 33 beginning on in verse 18. And, and notice the emphasis. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in the famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and he is our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love, Lord, rest upon us, even as we put our hope, not in ourselves, in you. I can give up trusting myself in a DIY salvation thing that I may have going on, and I can make God my Savior, my healer. In the Christmas story, we see these two choices laid out again. We've already said them this morning in our call to worship, in our songs. And let me just remind you how Luke 2 begins. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken over the entire Roman world. Now question, why did Caesar Augustus decree, mandate, this thing called a census. Is it just because he was bored as Caesar and needed something to do? He, he issued a census for the purpose, at least in part, for taxes. Caesar needed to feed his great army he needed an income stream. So what do you do? You count the people, you tax the people. Caesar was a DIY type of guy. He trusted in his own greatness. In fact, um, he titled himself, get this, this hubris, son of the divine. That was what he titled himself. He was thought to be a God. People worshipped Caesar in Rome. Millions. They thought he was God. The king gets saved by the sides of his army and horses. No matter how many you have are a vain hope for salvation. A few verses later in Luke 2 Angels come to some shepherds, and, and shepherds really couldn't look at their achievements. They couldn't look at their resumes. They didn't fit the profile for the DIY mold, movers and shakers of society. In fact, they couldn't even testify in court because they were seen as dishonest. They let their, their sheep graze in other people's fields. <laughs> they weren't considered movers and shakers. They didn't sit on boards their picture did not appear in Greenville Talk Magazine at black tie events, at charity breakfasts, because they weren't invited. These are shepherds. And, and, and the angels came to them. The angels heralded 
They had a herald of someone who has important news to tell. They heralded, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For today in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Christmas, friends, is about Jesus. Born in a manger, lived a perfect life, died a death that you and I deserve to die so that we could live a life we never deserved to live, so that we could have a hope we never deserved to have. That's grace. That's good news that the angels heralded that we have today. So I have a question for you and for me this morning. How about you? How about me? Who are you trusting to be the foundation of your life? Who are you trusting when those bubbles burst and when a crisis comes? Because it will. What is your life built on? Who is it built on? Is it built on you? DIY, do it yourself. Or is it built on God? DOG, depending on God. Just a basic question, and you may have been coming to this church or church for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, but I simply ask you, have you received Christ as your Savior, as the one whom you build your life on? Have you given up that do-it-yourself life, given up your pride, given up your self-sufficiency, confessed your sin, asked God to forgive you, and made Jesus your only hope? As the psalm ends here in 33. If you haven't, I just want to close by maybe giving you a picture of what it looks like to receive grace. Um, and, and I'll do so. I won't read the story because those who know communications, as you never read a story or say a quote if you don't have it. So I may get some details wrong, but, but here's, here's how it, it starts. There's a Catholic priest named Henry Nowen. And he taught at Yale and Notre Dame and Harvard. And he was in this do-it-yourself world. He was around people who were elite. You don't end up at Harvard by being kind of a second-rate person. You've got your stuff together. And he found himself in these communities as a tenured professor at Harvard. But you know what? His bubble kind of burst. He found himself depressed and empty. So what did he do? He left Harvard and he goes to another community called Daybreak in Canada. And Daybreak is a community for people who have profound mental and physical challenges. And he spent the last 10 years of his life in this community called Daybreak. It's in the book called Life of the Beloved by Henry Nowen. And, and what he says about that community, he says it was in Daybreak that I learned what it was to receive God's grace and to rest in it. He tells a story about one of the community members in this book. Her name was Janet. And, and he was sort of called to be 
the pastor, if you will, of this particular community called Daybreak. And so one day before a service, uh, Janet comes up to him and asks, could she receive a blessing? And in his tradition, he gave her the sign of the cross on her forehead. And, and she didn't take too kindly of that. In fact, she protested violently. She says, no, 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 I want a, a real blessing. And he didn't quite know what to think about that. And so he said, well, well see me after the service. And so they went to the, the service. And after the service was over and people were sort of milling around, Janet comes up to Henry Nowen, and, and Henry Nowen was wearing a, a robe with long sleeves and with folds in it. And he really didn't know what to do to give Janet, quote, a, a real blessing. And so he, he stood there, and Janet comes up to him, and she puts her head in his chest. And he just spontaneously wrapped his arms around her and spoke words of grace into her life. And he looked down and he said, Janet, you are a beloved daughter of the king. There is joy in his presence when God thinks of you. And I know that things have gotten hard in your life because he knew of Janet's particular situation. I know it's been hard, but know that you are kept in God's grace, never to be released. And this woman who couldn't speak, looked up into his face, and he knew that she had received that blessing, that gift of grace. Friends, when we come to Jesus, like Janet came to Henry Nowen, we come not with our resumes. We don't come with our titles. But we come covered, as it were, by the folds of his grace. And we come bringing nothing of our own. It's not what we've done, our accomplishments, it's what he's done for us. And, and so I just want to ask you this morning that question, who are you placing your trust in for your salvation? And I invite you into the arms of a Savior. I invite you to this Jesus who's more than just a, a baby in a manger scene on a nativity scene, but one who promises to come and take residence in your heart. Would you do that today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, this Lord's Day, we bring you, some of those in here need to bring you their sin. We, we all do. Our brokenness, the way that we've junked up our lives, the way that we've messed up our lives, even when we've tried to present this outward facade, this perception of having everything together and being squared away. We, we want to be do-it-yourselfers. And yet we know when we wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and our thoughts can't stop racing, that that ultimately ends up like a bubble that's burst. And so we ask, Lord, to receive your grace empty-handed. We ask for Christ to be the one that makes us whole. We're tired of trying to do it on our own. And we simply run towards you this day. May that be our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. Come experience the joy and wonder of the birth of Christ as we worship together Christmas Eve at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. Service times are 5, 7, and 11 p.m. More details at firstpresgreenville.org.
Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you need prayer for something or someone in your life? First Presbyterian Church offers a healing prayer service each Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Our prayer ministers will quietly intercede for you or anyone you are representing who needs prayer for physical healing, emotional healing, or forgiveness. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus, the healer and redeemer, in a deep and meaningful way.